lesson is entitled Our Merciful Father. Our Merciful Father. Don't you like a bit of mercy? Oh, yes. You appreciate a bit of mercy. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we appreciate it, we value it, and boy, do we need it. We need God's mercy. Let's read our passage and then let's see what we can learn from it today. Let's see what God has in mind for us. Luke 6 27, down to verse 36. But to you who are listening, and are we listening? Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus says, To you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid. <coughs> but... Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So what is this passage really all about? I think before we get into the detail, to me, irrespective of some of the detail here, it really is about love. As he begins that passage saying, love your enemies. It's all about love. It's about agape love. The Greek uh, there is agape love. The love that's the loving the unlovely, the unlovable, those who others will not love and those that frankly we struggle to love and would feel that they don't deserve love. It's that kind of love. Nothing to do with being loved, but to love those who need love. I've got a question for you as we get into this. Are these scenarios meant to be taken literally? Let's just think about this for a minute. Turning one cheek. You get slapped, turn the other. Someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. Um, lend to anybody who asks. Give to anybody who asks. Um, what are, you, what are your thoughts about the literal nature of what Jesus is talking about here? Because we need to think about this. It affects everything, yeah. I think, for the whole passage. So, literal, not literal, or some other third option I haven't considered. Uh, where, where are we here? What do you think? What's your thoughts? Or what would be the arguments for taking it very literally or not taking it so literally? If you don't want to, con to uh, put yourself on one side or the other of this, what would be the, the possible arguments? Yes? Well, the literal side, if someone takes your coat giving you shirt, it's, one is it's actually encouraging to do wrong in the first place. Um, and two is you don't have to be left in much clothing very quickly. It, it, yeah, I mean, what about if they ask your trousers? Maybe let's not go there, but uh, that's it. I mean, so, so okay, you've got that problem of uh, kind of seeming to encourage people yeah. to continue to, to, 
to, uh, to behave in a way that is not right. Okay, we've got that point. Anything else? I, I don't think it is literal. I mean, I can't imagine a situation where someone slaps you on the cheek and you turn the other cheek and then the person who slapped you suddenly gets a revelation of, I don't know, humility and... Okay, you know, it may not be effective. I don't see that being an effective thing. Jesus wouldn't say something like that. That's not going to be effective. Yeah. He wouldn't say that. Well, Good, okay. Practical. Or practical, no. okay. How many cheeks have you got? It's more like a parable. More like a parable. Okay, Leon? I, I, uh, depends on how, how, what you think is yours. It depends on what you think is yours. Yeah. Deep. So, Come so on. if you don't... I mean, this is what I've actually read and did well this morning. And it's kind of like, if you, believe, if you think that everything you own is God's anyway, yeah. then having that... Now, this, this, I, I, I think that's possibly a thought, but it, it's... it's you know, having the activity, you, you're happy to give away things. You're happy to sort of, you know, I mean, maybe that's about the possessions more than the offering oh. your face or a slap, but, you know, it's, then it's not so much a big issue. It's not your, you know, it's only temporal, it's only kind of temporary, and it's not yours. And it's, you know. Okay, from the perspective that in the end everything burns, right, and, and from the perspective that nothing we own, actually, we really own, is all lent from God, in one sense, then, of course, yes, that changes the dynamic here. Yeah, okay. Interesting, yeah, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, I laugh about the bit give to everyone who begs from you and anyone who's you know got children. Um, <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> you would say Very that literally. Um, <laughs> Oliver would have oh, I mean, man, I mean, what all the latest <laughs> nightwear, he would have them. <laughs> I think, I think you, Jude, Ollie, you should encourage your mother to take this literally, right? The only problem is, if you encourage her to take it literally, she could then demand it of you literally. Yeah. It's true. Oh. Then it would be a never-ending exchange backwards and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know how that would work exactly. Maybe that comes back to your point about practicality here, the teaching. I think there's some literal applications or some practical applications that are very real and involve money and possessions and how we respond to violence, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I don't think necessarily it's meant to be absolutely literal. Uh, Jesus on the cross in John 18. Um, did I put this one on? I didn't. But John, in John 18, Jesus is there before the high priest and someone slaps him. And he doesn't say he turns his cheek. Mm. This is the I've got, here's the other one. He says, is this the right thing to do? That's John 18, 22 and 23. Mm. You want to look at it. <coughs> I think it's more like the passage in Mark that talks about g g gouging out your eye if it causes you to sin, or cut your foot off if it causes you to sin. Not meant to be taken literally. However, the lack of a literal application should not mean that it is less challenging. Because the actual personal practical application of these principles is just as challenging as if you were to give away your shirt along with your cloak. And that becomes, a, uh, I think, in, in the current uh, uh, time of year and the temperature in this room, uh, we can imagine um, that is a very challenging thing to do. And then to live a whole day without those things that we feel we actually need. So... Let's talk about a couple of things. What I've got is I've got three brief points and then we'll uh, take communion at the end. And I think it's very appropriate looking at this about God's mercy and loving our enemies. We'll see how appropriate that is to taking the communion. Um, first of all, we're going to talk about the challenge here. Jesus says, love your enemies. Um, who are our enemies? What do you think? 
Jesus says, love your enemies. Who are our enemies? Think about the context of what Jesus is doing here, who he's talking to, um, the people around him. Uh, who might they think their, their enemies were, as he says this, love your enemies. Who are our enemies who were their enemies, if you like? Enemies. Enemies. Not just someone you kind of don't like very much. That's a bit different from an enemy, right? So who might... Now, you don't, I'm not asking you to name anybody. <laughs> Please don't name anybody or make it... Okay, I'm just talking about... Uh, uh, anonymize everything. Uh, yeah, who are our enemies? Simon? I was just thinking of the scripture where he says the members of your own household to be the enemy. Could be. Could be your members of your own household at times. It's interesting seeing a Tottenham fan, fan and an Arsenal fan sitting next to each other. That's rather... That's you know, only in the kingdom of God. Okay? Yeah, only in the kingdom of God is that possible. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, enemies. Who are our enemies? Ourselves. Uh, ourselves. Sometimes ourselves. Okay. Got to love ourselves, maybe, as well. Good point. Excellent. Who else? I think people who persecute us unfairly and unrighteously. Persecute unfairly and unrighteously. Which, in the context of Jesus' time, would be very much what he's warning his disciples about, perhaps. And we have that today. I mean, you, can have a, you can have a boss who is just very unfair. Hmm. And he unfairly persecutes you. Right. With no, no rationale behind it. Excellent. You've solved our problem by becoming your own boss. Yeah. That's, so that's not a, an issue for your good self, but it, it may well be for many. Yeah, it's okay. Any, any yeah, enemies? I think it's, yeah, like you said, it's more than somebody you just, you know, you don't get on with. Because it, the words like who hate you, curse you, abuse you, strikes you, they're very active mm -hmm. words. It, so it's not just somebody who dislikes you, they do something against yeah, action you, against you. you. Right. Action that's in designed to injure in some way yeah. or other, to take advantage of you, right? Yeah. Okay, they, they become an enemy, whether they intend to or not. They may not consider themselves an enemy, but we may receive what they're doing as the actions of an enemy. Could be almost subconscious on some people's part, couldn't it? Not necessarily conscious, although probably usually. Certainly in this context, it looks like it's it's, um, it's people who have dis deliberately decided to act against uh, people. I think it's, um, in an emotional sense, I suppose it's those we think do not deserve to be loved because of their actions toward us. They don't deserve our love because of the way they act towards us. Uh, of course, in the context here with Jesus and his disciples, um, I, I wonder how they received these words and how the uh, crowds received these words, because to them, as soon as they said, Jesus said enemy, they would immediately think of the Romans. They would think of the Romans. And so, for Jesus to say, you've got to love your enemy, meaning to them, you've got to love the Romans, mm -hmm. who are the hated, occupying forces, um, surely that would have sounded traitorous. It would have sounded downright immoral to your average Israelite at that time. You're asking me to do something that I cannot do and should not do. That is so weird what you're saying here. Surely the Romans should be opposed and hated and if possible hurt. That would naturally be how they would receive this. So these are very challenging things. Let's talk about the three things here. There's the cursing first of all. Bless those who curse you. Uh, have you ever heard that phrase, sticks and stones may hurt my 
Sixes does may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lot of rubbish. I was told that by my mother. I love my mom. I love you, mom, if you're watching this. I love you. I think you're awesome. I'm going to see my mom on Thursday, and uh, I love my mom. And maybe it wasn't you, mom. I don't know. But someone told me when I was young, and I went to school, and I went to a new school when I was 10 years old, and we moved cities, towns, and... And I went to this new school, I didn't know anybody, and I had a hard time. You know sometimes if you go to a new school or you start a new job or something, and uh, all these kids were giving me a hard time, because I had, a, at that point, I was 10 years old, and I had a Midlands accent. So I'd lived in Shropshire for five years. So I had this Midlands accent. And of course, down in uh, Kent, no one had a Midlands accent. And of course, when you're, you're a small kid, people poke fun. They'll find something to poke fun at you about, right? And so I was the odd one out. And they poked fun, and my mum or someone said to me, sticks and stones, well, just didn't, didn't do anything for me. Words really do hurt. Sometimes more than any particular violence, don't they? Tough stuff. Sticks and stones may, may break our bones, but words can wound us just as deeply, if not more so. And I must say, just as a quick thing, um, in the, even in the context of our fellowship here, um, isn't it more likely than the other things in, in this passage? It's more likely that words are going to hurt each other yeah. than any other kind of hurt. And so this is where we've got to get good at showing mercy to one another. Frankly, if we can't show good mercy to one another here, it's going to be very difficult to show good mercy, godly mercy to people out there, isn't it? This is the place to practice all of what we're talking about and what Jesus is saying here. Anyway, there are those who, who hurt us uh, by... Uh, their words. Then there are those who <coughs> um, who strike, <coughs> who are violent. Cats versus dogs. And uh, those of us who some of you have cats, don't you? They're, I don't understand cats, but never mind. Um, the, someone slaps you on the cheek, turn them the other also. Uh, violence. Uh, the word here is syagon in the Greek meaning the jaw. So actually it's not kind of really a, a slap here. It's like a punch. It's really the jaw. So this is a really, it's not a, like a little tap. This is a real sock to the jaw. And this is a violent act going on right here. Um, I, I don't know if any of you have suffered physical violence uh, for the sake of being a Christian. Um, has happened to me and Penny uh, years ago. Uh, years ago, we were uh, leading the church in Manchester and we had some very severe persecution that was both uh, verbal in newspapers and on TV and radio programs. Uh, but we also had a couple of strange people who, um, who attacked us. And uh, I had a couple of instances when I was evangelizing in Manchester town centre, city centre, and uh, the fellow came up and punched me and uh, knocked my glasses and broke my glasses off and uh, knocked them off and came and, and, and chased me. I was with, some of you would know Dwight Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Dwight Lawrence and I were, were together. And uh, <coughs> we, he, he, we were, he was attacking me and Dwight was trying to protect me a bit. We walked into a shopping centre. This fellow walked in. I thought, let's find a security guard, you know. And this chap walked in kicking me. And it was, it was kind of scary. Um, didn't know what else he might do. He was completely out of control. And it happened to Penny. Uh, there was a women's leaders meeting in a, in a, in a building. And uh, the women were meeting in one building, and the men, we were in a, a, a flat owned by one of the men in the church. We were about a mile away. And uh, one of these crazy guys came in and uh, walked up very threateningly to all the women 
And uh, Penny, uh, sort of as a mother hen, sort of stood up and, and, and said, you know, you need to leave. And this fella slapped her so hard that she fell over backwards and fell over some chairs. And, um, and then uh, somebody quickly rang us and all the fellas, we jumped in all our cars, went, fell off of this place and ran in there and he'd gone by then. Um, and the, the, the women were great. They, they circled up around Penny, like, like some kind of, um, those sort of cowboy films where all the wagons circle up, you know, and uh, circled around her and they said, you need to leave. And he, he did ultimately leave before we arrived or the police arrived. You know, I mean, that's, I was, it was one incident for Penny, a couple of incidents for me that were tremendously scary. Um, you know, for, for, for the average first century Israelite or even Christian, there were scenes much worse than, than what happened to us. Probably much worse than it happened to any of us. Uh, but Jesus says, look, you've got to turn the, the other cheek. What is he, what is he talking about here? Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in, a, in this next point. But it is violence we're dealing with here. And we need to think about how we react when people are violent towards us. How do we handle it? Do we handle it in a, in a way that's godly? I'm not, we're not talking here about being passive. But how do we handle it? And then we've got the issue of theft. Um, Stealing, you know, taking your coats, taking your cloak, taking your shirt. This is a this is a taking, taking, taking thing. Have any of you had anything stolen um, that was really valuable to you, Simon? Yeah, I had a. I've had where we live, we get some, my bikes get stolen all the time. Oh, yes. I, I don't even have one. Now. Don't even have five bikes stolen, four or five bikes. You know, I've had one a couple of them was six hundred pounds. Oh, six hundred quid. So, um, Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Ouch. Decent bike. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, was a racer, so they, they kept on nicking <laughs> Nasty, isn't it? Hey, anybody else? You good? My first engagement ring. No! Oh. Your engagement ring? Oh, that's terrible, I'm sorry. Oh, oh that's horrible. Yeah. My camera book. Your what? My camera stuff. Your camera stuff. Oh. We were broken into when I was about 10. They stole absolutely everything in our house. All my mom's heirlooms oh. and all the jewellery that she had from her. Family. Oh, the family. Oh, that, that hurts all of doesn't it? Oh, that family stuff. Yeah, it's very painful. Go on. I had a bike stolen. Oh, sorry. I had a bike stolen. Yeah. But me being Chantal, put all my hoodie and stuff. I went looking for my bike and found it. You found it? <laughs> Did you find Simon's? Ah, no, I'm so excited. <laughs> Simon, next time you've got to call Chantel, she'll find it for you. Okay. Go on, go on. We went to Sydney because we've got family over there, and then um, a few years, well, nine years ago, and um, we had a bag stolen off our pushchair because Bethany was only a year at that point. We weren't bothered about the bag, it was the camera though that went because we, we knew we weren't going back. Oh, so you had pictures? So we had pictures oh. of the whole of the time in Sydney with Matt's family, unfortunately, not with us anymore. And so we've never got that back. And we find the police, right? we, don't, we, don't want, we don't need anything back apart from the camera. Because okay. the camera's got stills on it. It's the emotional it's, value. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. the emotional value in the end, isn't it? I, um, I'll just share one story about, I've had a few things stolen over the years. But, um, but my, when my, talking about family and sentimental value, uh, when my auntie Irene died, many years ago now, uh, back in about 1981, I would think, or even before that, maybe, uh, she left, she was the first relative of mine to leave me some money. And um, it was about a hundred pounds. 
which was a lot of money in those days. <laughs> and I bought a camera, I bought an SLR, you know, not pre-digital days, and uh, it was a, a, a Pentax MX. And I loved my Pentax MX. I mean, it was like, not only was it Auntie Irene's money, but it was my first SLR. I was really in photography. I had a dark room at home. I used to do my own, you know, developing of the negatives and the, and the pictures. And, and not only that, I also bought a, a, a 300mm telephoto Sigma lens and a 2 times teleconverter. And I had a flash. And I, had, I just had all this equipment. I had it in a bag. And I had this bag at a church event. We had a banquet back in about 80... Six, I'm going to say, about 86, we had a church banquet in central London, and I had the whole box with me, I was taking photos of everybody, and I turned around, and the whole bag had gone. I've never seen it since, and, uh, you know, it, the camera meant a lot to me, partly because it was my first camera like that, but partly because it was bought with money from my aunt, Irene. You know, it's a tough thing, isn't it, when something important to you is taken. Something important is taken. And that's what he's dealing with here. He's dealing with things, not just material things, but things that matter to us. <coughs> the cloak and the shirt are so important in this context. We got, well, I, someone can have this shirt, I've got some more at home. But the cloak is probably your only cloak in this context. And the shirt might be the only undershirt garment that you have. It matters. The... Uh, and then the loan, he talks about money as well, which is another form of theft here when someone takes the money and doesn't give it back to you. So, Jesus, Jesus concludes this bit by saying, do to others as you would have them do to you, which is a well-known statement and a good statement and a challenging one, especially given what he's just talked about. So we talked about the, the challenge here. Let's talk about the response. How do we respond? How do we actually respond? He says, you've got to love your enemies. Don't go sticking pins in them. You've got to love them. You may feel like getting the voodoo doll and sorting that out with them, but he says, no, no retaliation. Retaliation is the natural, human, worldly yeah. response to all of these things, isn't it? Violence and theft and... and bad-mouthing, our natural, my natural response is retaliation. But that's not what Jesus talks about here. I like this quote from a chap called Care. He who retaliates thinks that he is manfully re resisting aggression. In fact, he is making an unconditional surrender to evil. Mm. You think about that. Mm. I like that. We think it's manful. Think about Hollywood movies. I'm going to guess, out of all movies made, surely about half are about getting revenge. In one sort or another. There's a hero, a heroine, someone who's been mis mistreated, something's been taken from them, and they are going to get it back, and they're going to make the people pay. And it sells, doesn't it? it sells, that story sells, and it's been selling for, well, who knows how long. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's got to be different. Life is not a Hollywood movie. Or it better not be, or we're all in trouble. I think here the attitude is what Jesus is getting at, rather than the literal interpretation or application of these things. Imagine someone slaps you on the cheek. Um, <laughs> he says, offer the other one. 
You, you could imagine offering someone the other cheek in a provocative manner. Not in a godly manner, right? Oh yeah, you think you're hard enough? You don't, oh, I have a go at this one then. You've had it, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's about the attitude, not the action, isn't it? It's about having a different kind of heart, not, not retaliating, not responding in an ungodly way. I don't think it's teaching yourself as well, because sometimes it's just out of habit, out of reflexes. Sometimes you have to stop and think. Because if someone slapped me a couple of years ago, the reflexes, I'm just, <laughs> just going to get that back. But sometimes you have to think okay. and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see how this situation is going to work out now. And remove yourself from the situation. So sometimes it's habit, train, retraining yourself. Retraining. Retraining our habits. So much of the Christian life is about that. Isn't it? I used to act like this and now and prayer makes a difference and reading the word and getting God's strength makes yeah. I think so much difference, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And so it's so important. Uh, we we should think about how Jesus responded. How did he, he respond? Uh, Romans five. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life while we were his enemies. We were still his enemies when he died for us. Mm -hmm. And so this perhaps will help us as we think about his example. He says, bless your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless them. In other words, do something positive for them in return. This is not about passivity. Like, if you curse me, I won't say anything back. Actually, he's saying, do something good. Uh, recently, um, as... As, uh, as we've got going here in Watford and as I work in, in Thames Valley, uh, I've been teaching a lot and more than I have in the last year or two. And so more and more of my audio and video recordings are going online. And that's fine. I've had a recent experience of something I never had before, which is someone being negative, uh, on so, uh, putting negative comments on uh, my YouTube channel about some of my uh, statements in, in classes like this. And it has never happened to me before. And it's been interesting to, to check my own heart as to my response. Uh, because, I, you know, I, I, I don't agree with what the person's saying. And I, and I feel like the person's being very personally attacking. Yeah. And, uh, and I think they are. Uh, but how do I respond? And it's been an emotional thing. I mean, I, I've, I've sent a reply. You know, like they've added a comment. And I've, I've approved all these comments because I, I, don't, I don't want to be like a censor. And it's not like he's saying you've got stuff in there that's like, uh, you know, um, something that it wouldn't be good for public consumption. But it is negative. But I thought, but I will approve the comment and I will respond. And then sometimes I've responded and I've realized all the different points during the day, all day, it's back in my mind. I wonder why he said that. I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if I replied correctly. Oh, and I realize it's really disturbing me more than I thought things like that word. And uh, I, this, this passage came to mind and what I've tried to do is respond positively. Is to respond and, and say to this person, um, I agree with that and I agree with that and thanks for mentioning that although I don't agree with this. And say something positive. It, it was so hard to write something positive. I had to like force myself to type something positive because I, w I wanted to give him a verbal slap back. He was slapping me verbally. On so it's really hard. And actually, I didn't. I felt quite. 
That's the right word. I, I felt disturbed that I found it so hard. I realized how, sen how vulnerable and sensitive I am to uh, negativity and uh, what I felt was a slap. So uh, it's important that we bear in mind the example of Jesus, uh, Luke 23, um, which I don't have on the screen, I think, or do I? Maybe I do. Luke 23? Yeah, yeah Jesus. <clears throat> when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That was his response. Forgive them. And that's got to be our response. Praying for our enemies. I, I realized as I responded <coughs> to this person, I wasn't, hadn't prayed. So I went off uh, and, and prayed. And you know, as I prayed for this person, uh, it helped me to develop some kind of heart of compassion for them and change my perspective. Perhaps if you have an enemy in your life right now, uh, we need to ask ourselves whether we really have prayed for them with a Christ-like spirit. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. Um, Spurgeon said this, You never have to drag mercy out of Christ as money from a miser. Uh -huh. You don't have to drag mercy out of Christ. So let us not be the kind of people that people have to, mercy has to be dragged out of us. I want to stop for a moment. You don't have to do this, but I'm just going to ask you, if, as I've been speaking, an enemy has come to your mind. There's somebody that actually fits that description. Somebody who's actively opposing you. If there's someone like that, ask us just to, we're going to stop for a moment and just pray for them silently. In your own heart. Can I ask us to do that? Now, if you don't want to or it's too disturbing right now, then don't feel you have to. You can always pray for them another time. But while it's fresh in our minds and our hearts, can we just take a moment to do that. So if there's anybody that you feel is an enemy and I ask you with a, as much Christ-like compassion as you have to just say a prayer for them in your heart. Let's stop for a moment to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll wrap up with a couple of thoughts. One is this passage in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that last phrase is a great motto, really, for the Christian life. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Who could you do good to this week who you feel is an enemy? And how could you do good to them, I think is the question for us. There's no despair. Help is on its way. It says at the end of the passage we looked at in Luke 6, 
that we will get a great reward. There is a reward, it will be great, and we are children of the Most High. When we act in a way that is loving towards our enemies, we are children of the Most High. There's a great reward. Thomas Adams said this, He that demands mercy and shows none ruins the bridge over which he himself is to pass. <laughs> I rather like that. If we are, are enjoying God's mercy, then surely we must show it to others, whether they deserve it or not, whether they cut us up in traffic or not. <laughs> it, 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 if we're going to be shown mercy, we must show others mercy. Do we remember how much mercy we've been shown? I had an incident recently. I received a letter from Tesco. Tesco wrote me a letter. Very nice of them. And I opened it up and I wondered what it was about. Maybe they were going to give me some vouchers. So I, I don't know. Um, but no, it was from their car park department. Uh, and they wrote to let me know that I had overstayed my welcome in their car park. They enjoyed having me in their car park. They welcomed me, but I stayed a bit long, you know. And, and so they invited me to give them a donation as a result. Um, so I had a fine for uh, parking too long in uh, Tesco car park in Gerard's Cross. And, um, and I, I was like, oh, but you know, I mean, it wasn't that much over. And I was, I was beginning to think about writing them a letter to say, let me off, you know. But then I read a bit further down the letter and it said, by the way, this isn't the first time. We have it on camera that you also overstayed your welcome on this particular date. So this is the second time. Wow. And then I thought, I just got to pay the fine. <laughs> I've been shown mercy. Okay, now that mercy is over, and it, ch it changed my attitude. I mean, I didn't like paying the fine, but I thought, actually, that's fair enough. <laughs> so, but you know, it's not, with Jesus, there's never a, you've had, you've had enough. There's, there's never that time. The mercy goes on. It's amazing. And hence why we show mercy to other people. Chrysostom said this, mercy imitates God and disappoints Satan. Mercy imitates God and disappoints Satan. Satan wants to have us in the grip of the desire for revenge. But when we let go of that, then we imitate God at his heart. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. We're going to take bread and wine in a moment, and that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. His body and his blood. His blood shed, his body broken so that we can enjoy the mercy of God. It is an expression of the mercy of God. This bread and this wine, it's, it symbolizes that mercy, which is amazing. The amazing mercy that is always available to us. And so as we pray, can I ask us to reflect on anything from this passage that is meaningful for us and to think about how we can put into practice what we've learned here this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're very, um, very aware of the fact that you've given us a lot of mercy and that you loved us while we were still your enemies. Father, please help us to respond to that mercy with gratitude and show that same mercy to other people. Help us not hold grudges or bitterness in our hearts towards other people. Help us to let that go and let them go. Help us instead to show love to those who don't deserve it, just as you've shown us love. We were, as it says in Ephesians, 
By nature we deserve wrath, but because of your great love for us, you, God, who are rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.